Heavenly Father, I would invite thy spirit to attend this show, that as William Bonatati tells his, share, his story and shares tips with people who are also interested in being activists in this day and time, to be with them, that they will feel and know that thou art with them, that they'll have courage, and that they will be in tune with thy spirit to know what to say and do at various junctures in their life when stress may overwhelm and they may not know what path to take. I would pray that all may be guided so that we might help to restore our republic and then make it greater and better than it's ever been and ensure freedom for all in body, mind, and deed. And I say this in the name of my beloved Savior, even Jesus Christ. Amen. The scripture for today is from the Book of Mormon, and it is from 3 Nephi, chapter 10, verse 6. O ye house of Israel, whom I have spared, how oft will I gather you? Here it is. Lead me, guide me, walk 
beside me, help me find the way. Teach me all that I must do to live with Him someday. Welcome to the Jenny Hatch Show. I am excited to share this show with you. It's mostly going to be an interview with my friend, William. William and I have gotten to know each other over these last few weeks here on Colin, and he is going to share his story of surviving the justice system in America as an activist. We will take questions later on, but most of this hour is going to be devoted to William sharing his insights. So, William, welcome to the show. Hiya, Jenny. Thank you for having me. And uh, once again, very beautiful and soothing. Were you playing piano during that, or were you singing to a recording? It was a recording. And that is the Sally DeFord version of this arrangement of one of my favorite songs. So thank you to Sally for the arrangement. But yeah, that was me singing. And one of my favorite soothing songs, it's a time when we all need a little bit of help spiritually to soothe with this music. But let's dive right in, William. Tell us all about yourself. Well, you know, let me first say, uh, I believe in um, the Lord and guiding me. He always gives me strength and direction um, and fearlessness, knowing that uh, no matter what they did or what they put me through he was at with me and so that helped that that was he's my strength and my rock so and 
uh, in thinking about what to open with in this show, you know, the, there's so much material, as you can see. Um, if we're, we could spend, I'm not, I know you have other things to do, but we could spend a week on the Catholic Church alone. <laughs> you know, the reports that have come out, you know, around, you know, the, that issue that uh, I brought to four here and in New York, um, being a victim of pre-sexual assault and how I, uh, I was thanked in New York by the Attorney General of New York, Letitia James, in writing. And I, unfortunately, I've been, I had it posted on Facebook, but I got banned for citing COVID, what I consider COVID truths. So, um, Me too. <laughs> yeah, I had one of, the, yeah. one of the oldest and largest Pizzagate groups on Facebook, and they not only wow. gutted the group, they pulled all of our accounts, mine and my co-moderator. And we were talking about all kinds of things in that forum, but sure. um, definitely talked about COVID as well. And it was just, you know, absolutely censored. Let's go yes. ahead and just, let's just boil right. it down. Instead of talking about the grievances for those of us who've mm -hmm. been truth tellers and whistleblowers, I really want you to zero in on the tactics that you've used, your street smarts, that have helped you as a survivor of not just the abuse from the satanic ritual networks that are out there, but also, you know, it just feels like you've learned a lot about how to work with the system to, um, even when it feels like the whole world's against you, stand up for the truth and then win. So share with people who are planning to be whistleblowers, truth tellers, and fighting the good fight, what you've learned. Sure. Well, first of all, if you're reporting a crime, uh, the police are mandated reporters to investigate, you know, and you're, you're you know, as a civil uh, servant, I consider myself uh, not employed, but a servant of God, servant of my brothers and sisters, you know, and my standing up for my civil rights. Um, I have a, an obligation uh, to report crimes. Um, so the first thing off is they're mandated reporters. It's illegal for a police officer to knowingly, willingly distort that with false statements and the declarations of any kind in a police report to suggest that you're harassing someone. And it's very interesting because, you know, I'm going to in order to put into context, I think it would help people. Like I might bounce to reality, like what the issue I was dealing with, so they can see well, how, how did this guy ever get arrested? That's preposterous. Do you follow what I'm saying? So I think that might be helpful. And then I'll jump right back into how what I had to do next <laughs> when they pull the next stunt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Spill. Just don't get so lost in the details of telling the actual story that you right, don't share, share the tips because we really want the tips. No, I get that. Let me just say to put the other things into context, there was a Department of Justice Task Force on Corruption here in Connecticut started in 2015. I, if I'm not mistaken, it was February, March 2015. And that was U.S. Attorney Deidre Daly at our New Haven District Office. But she was also serving in Bridgeport. We have two close district offices. I live in Fairfield County, Bridgeport and Haven. I'm kind of right in that whole you know, area. So, uh, just that one more thing. I was also reporting the crime of uh, probate embezzlement and theft in my father's probate matter. I studied accounting in college, and I uh, 
reported the CPA, my father's probate case, Joe Castellano, to the Department of Justice. I couldn't get any law enforcement locally to work with me. When there's fraud in the court, that does give your police department jurisdiction uh, where you live and or where the crime happened. Unfortunately, there seems to be a pecking order. The cops do not want to step on judges' toes. They just won't do it, even though they have jurisdiction if you can show them there's fraud. Well, it's pretty obvious, for example, in the probate matter that Castellano got indicted and eventually convicted for fraud and Ponzi scheme. You, you might say, gee, Bill, I, I'm pretty sure I put a link uh, on that one, that um, the actual DOJ press release. So I'm just going to talk, and I know I put a lot of links up, and I'm sure Jenny you know, well, transferred what she thought was relevant. Go let ahead. me explain to you something about the links. You, okay. shared, you shared so many of them with me, they would not fit in the call and link section. Okay. So what I'm, what I'm going to do is on my personal substack, which is healthyfamilies.substack.com, I am going to share every single link you shared with me, the link to this show. And that way, going forward, if we want to point people to all of that, you know, just pouring, outpouring of evidence that you shared with me, they, they just have one stop. You know, they can just go to that substack post and see it all. Okay, great. Perfect. So I'll just talk then. I won't worry about saying, well, if you go to this press release, you know, uh, online even, you know, anyone can find it. But point I'm trying to make is thank you for sharing that with the audience. And thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. So Joe Castellano got indicted for fraud and Ponzi scheme. He got indicted for 20 to 30 years. He only got five with three years probation. That's relevant because that means he had to give up something to plea down, which I can tell you who the co-conspirators were. <laughs> <laughs> in that, those crimes, uh, included uh, three judges and an executor and attorney. But moving on from that, I couldn't get the local authorities to act. Now, what, if you look my name up online, I look like a big, bad monster. Like um, if you saw my arrest, you'd say, oh, my God, this guy's huge and he's a huge jerk. <laughs> well, what that's important because in every arrest there was always good cops who wouldn't make a bad arrest and then there were bad cops who made false reports so in one instance real quick the first arrest if you look at what's put bonatati here uh, you'll see uh, allegedly i drove some woman to hysterical terror in a lawyer's office of all places truth be told i was praising jesus i used to live on and off a monastery in southern california and I was following my mentor's advice, who trained me to praise Jesus in the face of evil. So anyway, you can imagine the lawyers are, you know, Matthew 23, the seven woes of hypocrites. Jesus, Jesus is talking about the scribes who are the lawyers of the time and the high priest. Not much has changed, you know. So, well, certain anyway. people do get very, very uncomfortable when you invoke the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's okay. They can get uncomfortable. Doesn't mean we can't call down his blessings upon our heads. Well, my intention there was to actually bring the police in because the client was a felon on probation for larceny who had conned me out of five grand. And so in my opinion, she violated probation. It was all under false pretense. And I went in to collect a debt. My former attorney had allegedly talked to this attorney and that was the agreement. I would go in to negotiate. There's nothing to negotiate. I mean, you know, and I fell into the trap. So make a long story short, what happens here is there's the reason I bring this up is this. If there's good cops on the scene or in the midst of this, whether that you file 
here's how you deal with this. You have to leverage the truth because the cops are, let's put it, be honestly, the blue shield kicks in, they have their unions and they will not go against one another. So what happens here is the cops have discretion. A couple of good cops show up. They wouldn't make a bad arrest. We were actually leaving. But the attorney's brother's a prosecutor, and he's connected. And so he went out the back door only minutes away from the police department, it happens to be. And he brings in another cop to make the arrest. And the arrest is a complete set of false statements and declarations. Now, right there, I knew I had them because there's no way the two good cops would testify. You see what I'm saying? So then the, the punishment is the process. And here's how you get caught in the system. Okay. First, let me mention a, a great resource, caught like catching fish, .net, the pro se way. This girl got caught in the system. She's out of Rhode Island. And one thing about these small states is a lot of people related to one another. So the police, there's police officers who are related to judges, who are related to priests, who are related to state's attorneys. You know, you have this, what amounts to nepotism and cronyism, and it's frankly incestuous in a way, where it becomes a criminal uh, legal mafia. And they're, you know, who's friends with who, and this is what really happens. And so you get a false report written. Okay, now... I'm going to get back to caught.net in a minute, but what my point being is, here's what you do. File a complaint with the police department. You have a right to make a citizen's complaint and state your case and a complaint against the arresting officer. Be as detailed as you can and request that, you know, there, there may be some surveillance tape. What you need it to do is bring forth what's called exculpatory evidence, evidence that would exonerate you versus inculpatory evidence, evidence that would impeach you. So what you have here is false statements by a police officer. You know they're false. And you know there's good cops who aren't even in the report. Or here's another resource. The Crime Scene Investigation Guidelines, commissioned by the Department of Justice for All Law Enforcement 2009, built upon when they, and after the, uh, with the DOJ reform guidelines, you know what I mean? After Ferguson and Baltimore, okay, we had, um, it, was, uh, it was U.S. Attorney under Obama who did the DOJ reform guidelines, uh, Holder. Yeah, Eric Holder. And, Right. And but these are all built on one another. In other words, you have academy standards. They've been around a long time. The cops know they're not supposed to write false reports, you know, and they're not supposed to uh, uh, they're supposed to diffuse and, and disarm and deescalate. You follow what I'm saying? Making false reports and, and making a bad collar, which is a legal search and seizure, is an escalation. It violates their ethic codes. It violates police ethics and standards. And it is uh, a perjury for them to write that up. It's actually a class D felony for him, them to even do it. However, you know, the system is broken and we see prosecutorial misconduct is rampant. It really is, you know. And one case I put up as an example is Mississippi versus Flowers. That poor man got prosecuted six times by the same prosecutor. Was in prison for 23 years, best of my recollection. And the truth finally came out where he got attorneys. I don't know if he involved the Innocence Project, but the bottom line is he is now suing the prosecutor. 
okay, for prosecutorial misconduct, which totally, I mean, wow, we're talking treason. This, the prosecutors are civil servants. You follow me? They take an oath of office to uphold the Constitution and expedite justice. And they're lawyers, and they have oath of office and ethic codes to stand by regarding the American Bar Association. American Bar Association Ethic Code 8.3, for example. Um, just like if you're a doctor, you have ethic codes or a psych doctor. Do you follow me? Yep. So you have, you have the officer of the court who's a civil servant, who's bound by the Constitution, who, wow, he actually carries a small copy of that Constitution on him. Writing false statements and declarations, prosecutors, what's called subordinating the perjury. In other words, when a prosecutor presses a charge, that's, that's called subordinating, and, and it ends up in court under oath. That's a subordination of perjury, and I, I don't want to get lost in legal terms. Let me get back. Giant step. Okay, so how do you deal with this? you got to divide and conquer. So not only did I file a complaint, I filed commendations. Okay, now I'm commending the good cops. Okay, in every bad arrest, there was always good cops. And whenever there's a bad arrest, you will find, if you study the CSI guidelines, PDF, you can find online, you'll find somewhere in those guidelines how that arrest violate the CSI guidelines. Because you can't make a bad arrest without violating it. You see what I'm saying? Violating material aspects of evidence, violating uh, witness statements that are required to be taken, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, uh, violating acquiring material aspects of evidence. For example, no one ever acquired the surveillance tape in the building where this all allegedly took place. Well, it's a three-story lawyer's building in Trumbull, affluent area. We live in a surveillance state. You know what I mean? If you're an attorney in a law firm, you're going to have security. Now, um, so those are, let, me, let me get into what happens if you're fighting corrupt lawyers, big power. This is all about abuse of power and or something like the Catholic Church or the probate courts where there's a racketeering act going on between attorneys and judges, which is self-evident, they're going to protect themselves, right? Would you would you say that that is their number one priority? In my experience, yes, and it's it's pretty. In fact, right now to this day, they're okay. The state of Connecticut, it's so bad. A couple things happened, and it hasn't done any good. Okay, there's an ACLU report on the Connecticut Post how. Our prosecutors are not keeping pat track of untrustworthy cops. That's uh, in the paper, and I and I, I did post the link. And the ACLU obviously is bringing that forward. And this is after our governor signed a new police oversight bill. We have a supermajority here in Connecticut, and I call it corrupticate as it is of Democrats in the House, Senate, and it's not because of Democrats. This is bipartisan when they vote on things to cover up. And we have a, a, a another monster governor who's Democratic. So we have a supermajority, meaning he he can sign an executive order and get anything done he wants, or he should be able to, you know, call his, you know. Buddies in the legislature say, look, we need this bill to pass. So what percentage yeah. of these people would you guess are part of the, you know, cabal that controls everything? Well, in, in this manner, I have a hard time believing that they all aren't because, you know, 
we have the Knights of Columbus Tower here in New Haven, which is the home of the Knights of Columbus, which of course is a, a Freemason, a 30, it's in the ladder of Freemasonry to approach the 30, Scottish 33 uh, Freemasonry uh, top of the pyramid, let's say. Uh, Knights of Columbus, and this is the Knights of Columbus Tower in New Haven for the whole United States. This is the hub. You also have law, Yale Law School, Yale Divinity School, Harvard Law School, Harvard Divinity School. This is the Constitution State. It's also the home of the Bar Association. So I always go back to, you know, Matthew 23, the seven was a hypocrites biblically, where Jesus chastised the high priest and the lawyers of the time. And that holds today, um, calling them snakes, hypocrites, brood of vipers. You know, I can quote that more. But so. And this is, I know God was bringing me into this for a reason. I didn't even have a parking ticket or a traffic ticket on my record uh, when this all started. And I was 50, let me think, but, but, but this started 2015. I'm 62. So seven years ago. And I'd been on, as I told you, I'd been on off this monastery in Southern, I'm not holier than now, but you know, I try and live a righteous life. And so not, no record prior to this fiasco, which amounted to four illegal arrests back to back in four years, over 1400 days of consecutive prosecution. So they even, were really perceiving you to be a problem that had to be dealt with using these illegal and un unethical tactics. Right, one of the lawyers is a Yale graduate, you know, the skull and bones. The, the, I'm convinced, in fact, regarding the priest issue, Fordham University, you know, Jesuit school, there's Fordham alumni involved in this, um, uh, including a judge on the Access to Justice Commission. There's Fordham alumni in, okay, here's, uh, uh, there's a Fordham alumni with Department of Mental Health Addictive Services. The state has, first of all, if you go to a therapist, they're licensed by Department of Health, which my therapists were. American Association, Marriage and Family Therapists, uh, were the Christian Counseling Center of St. Paul's Church. So, for example, or um, mm, uh, the Rape Crisis Center, they're, 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 they're certified sexual abuse counselors. They are mandated reporters to report a pre-sexual assault, for example. You follow me? However, the Catholic Church here in, in Connecticut, well, first of all, in Connecticut, we're by demographically 51% Catholic. I grew up Catholic. This is a thing. It's the Catholic boys who are within arm reach. And the John Jay College of Criminal Justice report cites 80% of the molestations happened between priests and boys 12 to 18. Well, I was 17 when I first went to Fordham. And the crime starts with the grooming. Taffy was my is Fordham a university? I don't know the schools out there. Yeah, Fordham is in the Bronx, right down to 95 without traffic within an hour of Bridgeport. And, and is that where a, you had your football scholarship? My Initially, my football scholarship was at Fordham. I went there my first year, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so my Tapia was my theology teacher. Now, when a, someone's a priest and they're a teacher and they sexually assault, depending on the degree of the assault, my case, it was a groping in his office from behind. That is a class D felony. See, the statutes vary depending on the abuse of power brings that to a class D felony versus in another state, 
Uh, if he wasn't a priest, that might be an harassment charge. You see what I'm saying? But when it involves a priest, Connecticut acknowledges it as a Class D felony. So obviously in each case, I'm reporting crimes, but the politics are such that I get thanked in everybody in New York, even from the DA Johanna Hernandez in the Bronx to the security of Chiefs of Security at Fordham, Bill McSurley, all the way up to Investigator Doyle for Letitia James's office. And then about two and a half years after my original complaint, out of nowhere, I get a thank you letter, which means to me, they took the time, they opened their investigation in 2018 uh, uh, into the church, Letitia James's investigation, and she obviously got corroborating evidence. Because in other words, I didn't get a thank you letter right away. Do you follow me? They must have she gotten eventually. She eventually acknowledged and thanked you. Yes, and then I, w I got an email from Fordham Board of Trustees to a law firm, Detchert, D-E-C-H-E-R-T Law in New York, to talk about settlement. They don't do that unless they have corroborative evidence. Tappy had died, so it was my word. So then they must have gotten something which most likely would be somebody else who went to Fordham that this happened to. And there, as it turned out, the Jesuit Order of New England cited at one point like up to 12 priests out of Fordham. In fact, Cardinal McCarrick, the first Cardinal defrocked in 500 years, was a Fordham alumni. Wow. So you develop a culture. Do you follow yeah. me in a certain situation? And it be, uh, you know, look, however someone feels about, uh, you know, homosexual gay marriage, the bottom line is when it's predatory, it's a crime. Do you That's follow right. me? Okay. And did the did the settlement money come with any sort of like you can't talk about this? You know, did they try to shut you up or did you take the money? No, I didn't. Because the first thing was, what do you want to do to resolve this? And they wanted to limit it to the pre-sexual assault. Every attorney wants to reduce liability and exposure. Well, the Fordham alumni involved here, as Pope Francis said, worse than the crime is the cover-up. And it's re-traumatizing, re-victimizing, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. My original abuse, which makes me such a strong advocate, is I'm a survivor of incest from both my parents. So I've been in and out of psych ward suicidal. I know what it's like to suffer with extremely severe PTSD, disassociative identity disorder, so severe I have an endocrine disorder and a pituitary tumor. For anyone who's been through this, there's a, another great resource, the Pituitary Network. And Dr. Linda Rio. Never heard of her. So Dr. Linda. William, I can't. Out of Camarillo. I couldn't hear you. Yeah, Dr. Linda Rio out of Camarillo is a marriage and family therapist who writes the for the pituitary network. It's all about pituitary endocrine disease caused by trauma. Yep. And how it affects the family. People, we're mind, body, and spirit, and our pituitary gland, when it's overstressed from trauma, what happens is it can develop a, a secretory adenoma, which is a maladaptation um, to cr actually create and continue to be able to create the cortisol that's caused by the extreme PTSD. Do you see what yep. I'm saying? So yep. it becomes a secretory adenoma. And it shows up on a brain MRI as what's called a hypodensity, a lighter spot. And that took three and a half years to get diagnosed because that only happens to 10% of women. 
and much lower percentage of men because, and I would say, the statistics from the Sexual Violence Alliance is that three out of every 10 women has been sexually abused in some fashion by the time she's 20 and one sixth of men. So there seems to be an interesting correlation there to the uh, 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 rates of pituitary endocrine disorders and the rates of sexual abuse. I don't think that's accidental. You know what I mean? I don't um, either. Yeah. So, um, so um, okay, let me pray for a minute and get ask the Lord, what do you have me say? Because I kind of got into the, uh, what well, is relevant. While you, while you ponder that, let me share a little bit of my story just so I can corroborate what you're saying. Um, I grew up in a family that um, we had, I believe, multi-generational sexual assault that went back, you know, generations. And so growing up in that family, um, I felt like I was constantly being stalked in my own home as a child by my father. And um, then I also believe my parents were part of a satanic ritual network in the Detroit, Michigan area. And it was not necessarily tied to our church alone. It was, I believe it was also tied to the community at large, business people, people in the arts, schools, and that they just had a network that was bringing up their children to be controlled and uh, do the bidding of whatever they wanted in whatever sphere they, you know, stepped out in society, whether that is business or medicine or legal, this network, I believe, had been put in place early on the development of the Detroit area, which also had a significant Catholic population. And then, um, you know, as other other movers and shakers moved into the area, I believe they were either seduced into joining the cabal or they were just sort of bullied into it for their assets. It's kind of like the CIA, you know, they come looking for you because you've got something that they can contribute to the cause. And so um, I believe my parents were brought in when they were a young couple before I was even born and that I was chosen for whatever reason to be one of their, uh, one of their young women who received what they call diva programming to be raised up to um, be perhaps involved in the performing spaces or just as a breeder for future kids or, um, what have you, you know, however they felt like they could use me and to further their work, you know, they were going to use me, but I had certain traumas that they subjected me to at certain points in my life. One of the main symptoms I had as a child was I had these significant ridges on my fingernails that as my finger fingernails would grow out there, you would just could be able to feel these bumps all across all the ridges of my fingers. And this is a sign of deep trauma that, You've experienced this this jolting to your body, and it shows up in these these fingernails. And then I had several autoimmune diseases and serious mental illness. It was never diagnosed, but I, I started struggling with suicidal ideation when I was 15. Uh, didn't really talk to anybody about it. It really wasn't something they, they dealt with back in the 80s. But um, by the time I was 21, I had a full-blown break with reality after the birth of my first baby ended up in, in a mental hospital. I did not want to go on psychiatric meds. I was breastfeeding my daughter and I did not want to go on the meds. And so I fought the system in my own way 
for 28 days to not have to go on the meds. Just kept refusing, no, you can't drug me. And then I landed in front of a judge. And I think it's when you have that moment in your life, and I was just at the tender age of 21, but when you have that moment when you're literally standing there alone with your family and all these legal people and trying to advocate for yourself, and then your free will is taken away, the judge forced me to take the drugs, it does something to you. It does something to your heart. And I believe in that moment, an activist was born. And even though I bowed down to the law and I took their drugs for a, a year, I found a psychiatrist who was willing to help me wean off of each of the meds. They, they put me on a heavy cocktail of drugs. And I spent a year on my couch just eating their drugs. And then after that, when I got off the meds, I just gradually morphed into this person who was like, I am going to speak my truth, come what may. And that's been my position for the last 30 years. I'm 54, and I have just boldly stepped out. And wherever I felt like it was appropriate, even if it embarrassed my husband or my kids or whoever, I spoke my truth. And so that meant that I became, as soon as blogging became a thing, I was blogging, or I was making movies, or I'm making podcasts to speak out my truth. I don't claim to speak for other people. I only speak for myself. And once you stand up and start speaking, the people who get upset about what you're saying, they start throwing rocks at you. And then they start attacking you. And then they try to silence you. And so it makes you even more like, well, I guess I'm making a difference because they're trying to take me out. And so you get into this habit, and I have, of just this is my go-to position. I speak my truth and I interview and talk to people who I also believe are speaking their truth, come what may. And I perceived almost from the first time you opened your mouth, William, here on call, and I was listening to you speak, and I was like, well, here, this is a truth teller, and he's got some stories, and he's had some of the same experiences I have interfacing with the legal system and the mental health care system. I want to know more. And so that's why I invited you on the show today. So thank you for stepping up. Please continue whichever direction you feel would be appropriate and helpful to those who are listening. Very good. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jenny. And there's one thing I want to say. There's a lot of us out there. When you consider that three out of every 10 women and one out of every six men, ponder for a moment. We have 240 million adults in this country and 110 million, you know, under age, under 16, with 33 approximately 330 million people in this country. And when you run the numbers, one third of women and one sixth of men, think about the millions and millions of people that are have experienced what we've experienced. It's a huge taboo issue. Well, I have hey. never felt ashamed of losing my mind. I was embarrassed by what I did. You know, I was out in the streets in my underwear, casting Satan out of the world, screaming at the sun and singing at the top of my lungs. I mean, I was crazy, absolutely altered. The police picked me up. You know, I was I was ashamed of what I did, but I have never been ashamed of my mental health background. And I've always been very open about it. And there are so many people who are just experiencing their first break with reality, their first significant mental health episode just in the last few years because of COVID and lockdowns. And it's a scary time. And so I want to reach out to those people who are feeling the shame feeling like, like they want to hide it, feeling like, you know, they're never going to recover. I want to reach out to you and tell you, you can have a life. You can have a beautiful, happy life. 
This event does not define you. And I feel so passionate about that message because one of the feelings you get as you interface with mental health is they give you your diagnosis and it's like, well, that's who you are. You know, you are your post-traumatic stress. You are your psychosis. And it's like, no, you're not. This is a symptom that something was very, very off in your life. Perhaps something happened during your childhood. And right now you are being given the opportunity to reconcile it. And that's always a good thing. Oh, I concur. I mean, uh, in fact, it's the mental illness uh, that is a clear indication that you've experienced a trauma. And that is where the healing can begin. Um, of course, uh, because as children, there's the overlay of guilt and shame from the perpetrator upon us. Uh, of course, they want to oppress, repress, and suppress us. And uh, you know, I got beaten to the ground. I got treated very poorly after the uh, incest um, uh, to keep the secret. And um, so, you know, we internalize that, and it can cause um, uh, a disassociation and uh, oppression, repression, suppression of the truth. We have to compartmentalize somehow the young mind to continue to live in that environment because there was our loving parents or here was our loving, uh, perhaps it's um, another caregiver, you know what I mean? Um, or a, a husband or a wife who abuses, um, you know, one another somehow. Um, so uh, uh, it, 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 there's a shame to overcome like even when I heard you saying, "Oh, I was dancing the street with my underwear and I was praising Jesus," I'm like, "Amen, sister, go, girl! You know, that's my first time. Do it! You know, get out there! You know, you know, tell like it is." I, 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 to me, the first thing I thought of standing up and cheering. You know what I mean? You know, for you, it's an embarrassment. To me, it's like, "Amen, you know, do it!" You know, so William, um, there is so anyway. there is this thing of mentally ill people running around naked. It's one of the signs, you know, but this is evidence that someone was sexually assaulted. What right. they're doing is they're trying to signal to anybody who will notice, look, look at what happened to my physical body. Look at what they did to me. They're, it's literally a sign that someone was, was assaulted. Oh, yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So let, let me, okay. Getting back. Okay. So. Getting back to how you, okay, this is empowering to confront uh, power, abusive power, of course, because with our history, uh, you know, they want, they want people to fold and go away and take a plea bargain and just never do the big bad thing again. You know what I mean? No matter how falsely written it is. So what happens here is the, my first advice to people is study the CSI guidelines um, you'll find, for example, if a third officer arrives after the first two responders, that third officer needs to have sworn statements from the first two responders, and they both have to be in the police report. Because this third officer is coming after the initial first responders. The first responders are the first ones on the scene. Obviously, what they witness is critical. To write a report up without that information is a clear red flag of fraud. Do you follow me? Especially when one of them isn't in the police report. This violates the CSI guidelines. So now, in my case, the first arrest had a police report that was completely impeachable. Okay. However, 
Okay, I have a degree in resource economics. You might say, how does this guy know all this stuff? I'm not a lawyer. You don't need to be. The resources are there to develop a cost-benefit analysis study on any project we were doing. We had to do a lot of research. So this is kind of, you know, I'm like, how do you fight power? Knowledge. Knowledge is power. And then you got to take it to the front power with it, with the knowledge. So what happens for me every time when I try to represent myself before a judge uh, there's a case law, Ferretta versus California, that in the links, you have a right to represent yourself. However, the judge has a right to determine whether or not he feels you're competent to do that. Where clearly any judge hearing me is like, whoops, we're going to shut this guy up because he knows too much. So within a sentence or two, that's enough, Mr. Bonatati. I'm going to assign you a public defender. I'm like, I don't want a public defender. I know what I'm doing. I don't need it. You know what I mean? So you have a right then to re-argue, reconsider, motion to re-argue, reconsider, judge, I object. It doesn't matter. You have to understand the police are not there. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. The judges are not there to help you impeach the cops. You see what I'm saying? They are not there. You think that we have this criminal justice system equal under the law? You forget about that one. The, the judge is not there to help you impeach police officers or the complainant in power. If it's a high-end law firm who's connected, if it's the Catholic Church, if it's uh, probate lawyers and, and such uh, that are committing crimes, the, 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 it's a big club like George Carlin said, and we ain't in it. Okay? And as he said, the courthouses, the state houses, you know, basically – the, let's put it this way. The legislative, executive, and judicial branches all work together. And as far as I'm concerned, a lot of these legislators are criminals because they should be lifting statute limitations as it cites in the urine report on the Vatican. There should be no statute limitations in this crime of pre-sexual assault because the trauma is so high. Because as a child, if you're Catholic, you're growing up looking to the priest as the vicar of Christ. So. This, this has become such a deep trauma for the, that sometimes people never can talk about it. Or when they are ready to talk, conveniently, like in New York, the last I saw, the statute of limitations on sex abuse is five years. So let's say you have a child who's been sexually abused and Connecticut is 20, which still isn't long enough because this can get buried for, for decades, right? So it may be up to eight years now. The stat, last I read an article, it's five years. It seems to me they may have raised that some. I think last, vaguely my cobwebs there, I'm thinking eight, but that could be searched and figured out. It's far too short. You know, even the UN report on the Vatican cites there should be no statute of limitations. So what happens here is the legislature takes money from the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops, who spent $10.6 million in New England states alone as of 2017 in the links to cover up. To me, that makes them criminal accessories and accomplices who are taking money to cover up for criminals by the rule of law. But this is the way our system is in Connecticut. That can only Connecticut in the whole country. Otherwise, we'd have a whole lot of priests and bishops and cardinals in prison because their canon laws, which are on the books, harbor felons. And I cited that canon law, the Crimean solicitation. So imagine if you're AZ Corporation and you have a daycare center and 
I don't know, these people are sick and they're abusing the children in daycare while the parents are working, but they have laws and, you know, secret laws in their corporate bylaws that protect the perpetrators. And then those who protect the perpetrators are protected. That is a crime syndicate. That is a racketeering act that was used to bring down the mob. And that is a crime syndicate of felons, Section 18 U.S. 792. There's federal crime statutes. So not only do you have the act of the sexual abuse, you have the cover-up, which is the statute I just cited, which bears criminal liability for those who are then accessories or accomplices. So I'm well, not only signing- can I Sorry. Can I insert yeah. here? Yes. One of, one of the main ways that these networks have been controlled is through murder. And you, you look at these families and you will see untimely deaths of children and spouses and friends and colleagues. And these murders are meant to quell any sort of resistance or rebellion in their midst. And I know with my parents, once they got into this thing, it was that overall threat of your family can be wiped out in five minutes. You could lose your business. You could lose everything if you step out of line. And then people within their orbit, here's a mom who gets in a car accident. She's gone. Here's a family that dies in a house fire. They're all gone. These sort of incidents were planned and meant to, to just chill everybody to the bone, that they wouldn't step up or speak out or fight back. And this is how you control people. So I bet some of that was going on where you live, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can. The biggest pink elephant in the living room is the Epstein case. You know what I mean? And of course, we could spend a, a whole show on that. But but what's happening here, I'm looking at the clock. There's so much in my mind I want to get out to help people. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to laser focus on the tools that are cited in the links. Crime Scene Investigation Guideline. Caught.net, the pro se way. That woman is, my God, she saved my rear end so many times. God bless her for putting that together, for fighting back, for paying it forward, because there's links there. I mean, it's so extensive. It's like a law school. It's unbelievable. How to even write lawsuits, how to write motions to recuse corrupt judges, which I did. I mean, there's also your law rule book, which is available online. You don't have to go to law library anymore. You can find your law rule book, which is split up into sections, depending on which court uh, you're fighting if you're fighting criminal civil housing you know probate family whatever so that's another resource um and i'm going to breeze through these and then i don't know jenny maybe we'll be talking again in the future we can dig a little deeper um i look forward to future talks i'm i've done my own call-ins and unfortunately for some reason i haven't been able to and i'm working on when i get to the uh published section for transfers or shows, it's not working. And Jenny suggested maybe I need to make them under an hour. One, there was another host who told me he was having the same problem. So maybe the shows are too long. But um, so I'll work on that. So I'm going to keep exposing just like I did when I was on Facebook. And uh, if I get banned from here, then I'll, I'll, I'll go down in flames. You know what I mean? I'll go down telling the truth and touching as many people as I can until I'm either silenced or we're lifted up and we can keep getting our message out. So what I'm well, I'll tell you, the one thing I would add to everything you're saying about, you know, reporting to making reports and, and, you know, holding their feet to the fire is one of the things I've done is as an activist, I went to lots of events as a young mom to protest and engage in all sorts of activity. 
And I was interviewed by tons of, of the press and video and you know they they almost never reported what we did and if they did report they they lied and they got it wrong you know they just absolutely um disfigured what we were doing and so i learned early on that i had to be my own press so i started taking my camera and eventually of course my phone and capturing everything you know still photos video audio and then publishing it on my own space and it's the level of censorship that I've experienced has told me, you know, they do not want this stuff getting out. And so I'm on Substack. I'm on Colin. These are the pure spaces that are supposedly still there for us. I've heard that, that Rumble is still pretty good, but I've been kicked off of everything, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all of it. And it's like, okay, we're down to the wire here with this censorship thing. And I too, I'm going to just keep yelling until I can't yell anymore. But I would encourage others to join the chorus. Come join us in singing out these truths. Stand up now. Throw off all of your fear. This is the moment. We are about to be engulfed with pure totalitarianism. And if we don't have a mass awakening, I'm really concerned that we're just all going to be shut out of the conversation. So, William, take us home. I need to stop. I have a hard stop at 11. You've got 11 minutes. Just say whatever is on your heart. And, yes, we will have future shows to, to flesh out more of these issues. Okay, very good. That takes the pressure off right away. So, um, like I said, everything I'm citing, there's links, and then you can find online. All right, so let's see. So the crime scene investigation guidelines, best of my recollections, around 197 pages. and for me, these are my tools to fight back. So I filed uh, complaints at police departments. I, 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 my first one was done hard copy, and they got buried. And I filed uh, commendations. Uh, same police department, and the report from the chief was, regarding your complaints against our three officers. What? I complained against one and commended two. You see? And so now the problem is, of course, I'm like chomping at the bit. I want to have a trial. I want to expose these bums. You know what I mean? I want my money, and I want to, you know, get justice. Well, the judge cuts me off because, like I said, he's there to protect this, uh, the other lawyers. Judges are lawyers. It's a big club. We're not in it. They're not into, you know. I mean, maybe if a lawyer sexually abused somebody, maybe, maybe not. Maybe. Who knows? All I know is what I experienced, and all I can do is share my experiences. So next thing you know, I end up with a public defender because I was indigent, disabled, qualified. Okay. And I said to my public defender, here's, you know, they show me, you get arraigned, and your public defender sits you down, and, of course, they show you the police report, and they're all about, they're like corrupt prosecutors, not asking what happened here, and what can you tell me? And is, was there anybody else on the scene? And, you know, is this police report true? No, it's all about this is what the police report says. And I'm like, well, that's interesting, because did you know there's two other cops? And this this cop quoting this other cop was a first responder. And what they're saying about it is wrong. And where's the third cop? Not even in the report. And then, I'm, then I start hammering my public defender. I'm like, listen. You have a job to do. The Public Defender's Rulebook for the Indigent for your state is available online. Now, if you hire a private attorney, he's going to do all this, right? So this really affects the people who are indigent. 
puts us at a big disadvantage. 97, depending on where you live, 95 to 9, I would say for misdemeanors, up to nearly 100% for first offenses, never go to trial. That statistically, it's 95 to 97%. Any public defender case never goes to trial, but that includes high felonies. Do you follow me? But if you're talking misdemeanors, especially first offenses, they, the, the court will be so overwhelmed, forget about it. They're not going to go to trial. So if you know you're standing in truth, you are not going to have a trial, no matter how much they threaten you, what they try and cajole you. To, uh, they, they're overcharging, and then they want to have you plead down. Okay? I'm like, no. That would violate my, my sense of God and integrity, and I'm all about truth. Let's go to trial. Or you know what? You, there is no probable cause. The police officers need probable cause with a reasonable person would determine was probable, probable that you committed a crime. You're still innocent until proven guilty. There is no probable cause in any of these cases. Not one. Okay. I intended for the police to come to bag this felon on probation for larceny and this corrupt attorney who was entrapping me. I did that intentionally and I praise Jesus and it's on 9-1 dispatch. The police report is something completely different. This is so impeachable. It's outrageous. Public defender. Well, you know, even if there is surveillance tape, you know how the police are. What are you saying? You get your public defender who has an investigator who I met with to go and get sworn statements from the good cops to adhere to the public defender's rulebook for the indigent, to get material aspects of evidence, to put this case into context. There is, for example, the most extreme case being, say you shot somebody. It doesn't necessarily mean you murdered him in cold blood. Maybe it's self-defense. Maybe they were about to assault you. It was equal force. You know, you're a woman. You got some big guys got a bat or something, and you're, you're fearing for your life. That's not murder. You see, you, yes, you shot the person. It's not murder. There's, so to put things into context, there's something called Federal Evidence Rule 106, which is a doctrine of completeness. Any piece of evidence offered up by the prosecutor has to be put into context. So if there's corroborating evidence that's exculpatory, and I know I'm using legal terms that would exonerate you, your public defender's job and their investigator is to acquire the, that evidence. Witness statements from credible witnesses like other police officers, video surveillance, perhaps there's police recordings and other arrests. Let me move on. It was alleged I made harassing, the harassing nature of my calls. But really, where's that recording? Where's that recording? In fact, I installed the recording app on my phone. And that's, you know, let's go to trial. You know what I mean? I'm like, perfect. Or in addition, along with the alleged harassing nature of my calls, there's harassing emails. Well, produce them. What's the material aspect of evidence? What am I saying in my emails? So I knew we were never going to go to trial in any of these cases. That was not going to happen because the evidence would impeach the complainants and the police officers. Now you get a public defender. And now here's what they did. They always, after the first, call them new public defender, they always assigned me supervised role. Supervisor public defenders, audience and Jenny, they only deal with felonies. They're the ones who've been there 30 years in the courthouse, they're dealing with the felonies. They don't have time for low, oh, here's another thing, class C misdemeanors, harassment too, the lowest 
charge above a traffic ticket. Do you follow me? Uh, you know what I mean? The next charge above a traffic ticket. They don't. That's why my first public defender, even on the alleged trespassing, was a fairly new public defender. That's how it works. You know, so then when you know you're getting assigned supervisor public defenders, they're there because they're going to try and use every trick in the book to intimidate you and convince you that, you know, that black is white and white is black. You know what I mean? And so that's when you say, no, now you got them. OK, now you got them. They're showing the colors and you, you study the CSA guidelines, study the public defender's rule book for the indigent and you hold their feet to the fire. And if you're not getting anywhere with that public defender, you have a right to argue to the supervisor public defender's office in your state, which I did. I wrote reports. I had the incident reports. Oh, that's another thing. Always acquire your incident reports and police reports so you have them. Get them from your public defender. That way, he's required. To, he, she is required to give them to you. So then you can go home and read. In you know, we have all the time to simulate and sleep on it and read the CSA guidelines, read the public defender's rulebook for the indigent, and you start to. What happens is God speaks. You know what I mean? And a lot of times in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and I'll be like, "Thank you, Lord." It's like an impartation. The pieces come together, and you're like, "Ah." That's what I need to do next. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving direction, and I'll do that. So now— and I, I think that's the main thing I felt, too, William, as an activist, is I have really felt like the Lord was guiding my paths and helping me yeah. to know where to be effective. Most of my time these past 30 years has been spent in service to my husband and my kids. I've spent mm -hmm. most of my time taking care of my family, taking care of our home, and doing my daily work. But I did carve out a small space for activism, for, for especially parental rights, but all sorts of activism, activism around freedom for healthcare and education, and especially bodily autonomy. When you have your rights about what drugs you can take and you know how you live your day-to-day -day life stolen from you by these types of networks, and you're compelled to do something you do not want to do. That is some mighty usurpation of our constitutional rights to life, liberty, happiness. And this bodily autonomy is, is my hill to die on. And because we've been survivors of sexual assaults that, you know, other people felt like they were at liberty to just take advantage of us as children, you know, to molest us and hurt us. Even our own parents are involved. You know, it, it ups the ante even that much more. That we want to have this justice, not just for ourselves, but for anybody else out there who's hurting. So thank you so much. I've got to wind the show down. Do you have any final words? Yes, because that, that's the next level. I got, they invoked then Department of Mental Health Addictive Services to use that to discount, discredit. And you see Dr. Sherry Pemp, Tempenny, osteopath, the, her certifying body, why not have a psych eval? In other words, when this, you go up against the state and this evil, this cabal of evil that, that's harming the citizens, and you fight them, they're going to invoke their shrinks to try and say you're crazy. And we don't have time for me to even start on how I fought that off because I did get incarcerated two months in a maximum security psych ward allegedly to be restored to competence for trials, which never happened. But the whole agenda there was to get me involuntarily conserve a person in the state to medicate me, to give me basically a chemical lobotomy. 
But there's a yeah. whole process I use to fight that off, which is very important. And of course, well, uh, let's, we'll be talking. Let's save, let's save that specific topic for the next show because we really sh- we really should flesh that out. In fact, why don't you just come on tomorrow? I've kind of designated Fridays for an open line show that we talk about anything. But let's go ahead and do a second hour on just the mental health aspect of it because this is old communist stuff. When their politi- political dissidents would start stepping up, they would put them in in these mental hospitals and dope them to the nines mm-hmm. as a way of dealing with their political opponents. Shocking that it's still happening. I, 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 what, what happened to me, I was like, the public defenders violate the violate your rights and the judges. And next thing you know, you're in a comp bell. And they even use Yale University at one point because, of course, you know, that they have the reputation and uh, they all work together. And I know we got a roll, but yes, I look so much forward to tomorrow. Thank you so much, Jenny, for giving me the opportunity to speak and and um, praise Jesus, eh? Sister, yep. I look forward to tomorrow. All right. Thank you, William. Here's my outro music. I hope everybody has a great day.